February 13th, 1976. Next news, when it happens. Next scheduled news, 11 o'clock tonight. You just come into some joint someday and order a steak and throw the bones over your shoulder. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait a minute. Now, don't laugh. You know that there is a restaurant out on the West Coast. Now, just a minute, guys, before you flip here. There's... See, man has certain basic urges, which he always has, but does not at certain times in history give vent to. But the urges remain. For example, uh, they did a thing in the... Uh, 16th and 17th centuries called wenching. And it's exactly what you think it is. Now, the urge remains. Now, uh, let's face it all. Within each one of us, there is the seed of a basic slob. Now, most of us spend our lifetime fighting against the slob element of our personality, which is the basic human uh, Personality. Now, what 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 would a slob do? Well, a slob, for example, would uh, would would love to commit to a place like the Four Seasons, elegant restaurant. And uh, the waiter approaches, and uh, he looks at you and says, "There's a lot that you care to uh, order today, sir. Would you care to see the menu?" You say, "Yeah." And he hands you the menu. You look down it, and it's all written in purple ink, you know, in French. You say, "What the hell is this?" And the guy says, uh, excuse me, more sweat, as that is the, uh, the steak, the beef steak. So, ah, why don't you say it, huh? He says, but this is a French restaurant. We like these things in France. Well, give me one of them and uh, some French fries. Uh, uh, bring me a schooner of beer. And uh, I'll have uh, some pumpkin pie. And, uh, and I think my friend here will have the same. And a couple of minutes later, he comes, and you grab your steak up with your hands. Have you ever had the feeling that you grab a steak up and eat it like a, like a kid eats a, an Oreo cookie or something? You know, you grab the, the, the thing up with your hands, and you chew it. You just grab it, and you start biting it. <laughs> with ripping, snorting, tearing, and then when you throw, you know, you got a bone. You go, you throw the bone over your shoulder, and two dogs, which are hiding under the table next to you, snarl after it. Well, you know there's a restaurant in the, in the West Coast that lets you do that? Seriously. So help me. I'm raising my hand. I'm a, and, and, and you know what it's called? La Primitive. That's a fact. I, I mean, in other words, you, you go there and you give vent to your primitive nature. And you, 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 you don't drink there. You swill which is very different. You know, you let stuff drip down over your shoes. And you, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, uh, they have these serving wenches. They don't have waitresses. See, and and uh, you come in there and you, you can make bawdy remarks in the Elizabethan sense to them. And, uh, yeah, they're paid to take that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the price is high. After all, the price of slobism often is high. Uh, for those of you who bought a big bow-tailed Cadillac or something, you know that. The price of being a slob doesn't come cheap. So, uh, and the more you pay for it, the more you appreciate it. Oh, by the way, speaking of, uh, of slobism, uh, once again, we're doing a show from southern Florida. And, uh, and the thing that I, I love about this part of the country, as I say, is everything is up front. And uh, all, almost every tendency in the human skull is brought together here 
and is amplified, and they put a sign out in front of it with neon around it. For example, uh, Monkey Jungle. Has anyone out there failed to see at one time or another, at maybe 15, 20 in an hour, a car driving ahead of you with a bumper sticker that says Monkey Jungle on it, right? <laughs> I've often wondered what drives people to drive, you know, 1,500 miles uh, from Worcester, Mass., to come down here to go to a place called Monkey Jungle. Right? <laughs> you know, but they do, you know. And, and, uh, and, and I saw a fantastic scene, just a very dramatic scene the other day. Many people have probably seen it on uh, from the airline, from the plane that they're flying in. But they don't really relate it to, to you know, the whole life that we live. The plane was coming along. We, I was coming down from Rochester, New York, in the plane. And a uh, beautiful, clear day. And uh, we we were just uh, coming down. He was beginning to let down, you know, a, a, a long-distance jet flight will begin to let down hundreds of miles from its uh, actual destination. So since we were heading to Fort Lauderdale in this plane, we were already beginning to let, it, let down up around the central part of Florida. It was coming, drifting down, and down below us, you could see off to the left of the plane. The plane is heading down. Off to the left, you could see the ocean, right? And uh, down below, you could see the coast of Florida snaking along. The sun was hot, and you could see a few little boats uh, that were making a little white wake below you. Just they look like what they really look like is somebody's just taken a a little. Uh, uh, watercolor brush just made a little flick of white paint uh just a little little curve they're all curving you know they all look like a little curving feather of white down below and uh, this water is sort of a magnificent uh kind of a cerulean blue and you can see it getting darker and lighter and you can see yellow patches where there are shallows and coral beautiful from the sky and uh, you can see the gulf stream you know the gulf stream is a much darker blue uh, just offshore, maybe two miles offshore. And, of course, when you're flying at 30,000 feet, two miles, your your visibility is maybe 70, 80, 100 miles up at that area. Well, the airline pilot got on, and was floating along. He says, uh, your attention, please. Uh, for those of you on the right side of the plane, you might be interested to know that uh, the city that you see off there uh, to the west is Orlando, and you can see Disneyland. And uh, off to the, uh, uh, that's on the right side of the plane, and off to the left side of the plane, just below us, uh, you can see uh, the uh, Kennedy Space Center just below us there. Two, two make-believe areas, two playpens for the human mind, visible from 30,000 feet. The Kennedy Space Center, which is like a, a, a scientific tinker toy. It's, uh, <laughs> it really is. It's it's uh, it's like, well, after all, let's face it, the actual knowledge that we gain from sending stuff all over the place is minimal compared to the excitement of sending it. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, really just, you know, you, you can hardly remember the moon rocks, but the idea of sending a bunch of guys to go up and walk around on the moon, that in itself was an unbelievable gas. I mean, it's totally silly in a lot of ways when you think about it, you know, but the Nevertheless, it uh, it was really exciting and and picturesque. Anything that is exciting has to have classy uniforms. But I I've always felt 
that if uh, professional football players would, uh, wore dark gray jerseys with uh, little stocking caps on their heads, nobody would give a damn. It's those fantastic gleaming helmets. They've even got horns painted on them. They wear these, you know, these great-looking costumes, gold sleeves. And, uh, they wear these tight silver pants. Wow. Big numbers that glow in the dark on the back. I mean, you couldn't help but be fascinated by some guy wearing a suit like that, no matter what he did. If chess players wore suits like that, 40,000 people would come to see him play. <laughs> but they wear these black suits and sit there and look mad. And, uh, you know, who's, you know... And, 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 and so everything that we really go for has to be kind of make-believe. And uh, the more make-believe it is, the more successful it will be, which makes man very different from any other creature. It's never been recorded that bears dress up and pretend that they're uh, uh, Arabs. Man does this. Does a bear ever go out and... and uh, and wear a, a squirrel suit? No. It's only man that dresses up like a mouse. Disneyland. <laughs> really fascinating. And, and, and I don't know whether any, any really uh, objective uh, psychologist has ever done a, a study on that anthropomorphology. Uh, it's the it's the transference of man-like characteristics to say a duck. To many people, Donald Duck is a reader star than say Robert Redford. He's certainly got more personality. No question about that. You never see Robert Redford getting as mad as Donald Duck gets. <laughs> and so, hence, Donald Duck is going to be a reader star and last longer than Redford. I can tell you that. And uh, nevertheless. Uh, I've, I've always been fascinated at the at this Disneyland concept, and, th and Florida, of course, and Southern California, which have much in common, are both make-believe lands where people make believe. They make believe in many ways in these areas, and it's fun. I'm not putting down make-believe. To to many people, making believe is much more fun than living. Now, to other people, living is more fun than making believe. Making believe bores them. But living is what it is. And so, uh, in fact, I, I, one, of my, one of my favorite science fiction writers, an old friend of mine, couldn't stand living where he lived. And where did he live? Well, he lived in Chicago, which is a real city. There's not much make-believe there. And he couldn't take it. And so he finally wound up in Southern California. Now, listen what he does. He's a very famous writer, and you've read him, no doubt. He lived so much in the make-believe world that every day, now get this, every day, this is a grown-up man, world-famous, every day at 2 o'clock, he goes to Disneyland. He writes in the morning, he writes from 8 until noon, and he goes to a restaurant with his friends that's made in the form of a make-believe derby. Serious, he eats at the Brown Derby every day. He loves to sit in a restaurant that's shaped like a derby. I said, well, why do you like to eat in a restaurant shaped like a derby? He said, well, it's fun. It's make-believe. I said, yeah, but why don't they make one shaped like a cigar butt or uh, 
<laughs> I mean, why a derby? Nobody wears derbies. I mean, I never know. It's just an old movie. You see a guy wear a derby. What's on? He's always a judge. Something like that. He said, well, I don't know. I like to come here. He says, don't bother with questions like that. I said, well, you ought to ask these questions once in a while, Bob. Said, don't get off my back. He said, oh, by the way, he said, you want to go to Disneyland with me this afternoon? I said, this afternoon? He said, I go every day. I said, you mean you spend every afternoon at Disneyland? Yeah. Like he was a little ashamed of it, yet he was vaguely, defiantly proud. You know, it's like, I said, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? You know, that kind of thing. I says, well, Bob, you mean every afternoon? What if your countless, endless readers who think that you have this great insight into human condition knew that you spent all your time communing with a mechanical Mickey Mouse? It's not that damn business. I said, Bob, I know it's not that damn business. But the idea, what, what's your favorite part of Disneyland? He said, I suppose you think it's going to be Tomorrowland, right? Because he writes science fiction. He's always writing about the future. I says, well, that would be the natural thing to assume, Bob. I can't stand it. I said, where do you go? Well, my favorite place is uh, Frontierland. He says, and after Frontierland, I'd love to go to, uh, well, I don't like to admit this. I like to go to the, uh, the fairy kingdom. That's what you're saying about yourself? How about uh, ordering another glass of beer? Let's drop the subject, huh? And that was a great moment of insight here. And, and, and so millions of people come from all over the country to watch a mechanical parade. Have you seen that? A mechanical parade. It's a lot of machines marching down the street. Fantastic. The dream world. Which reminds me, this is W.O.R. New York. <laughs> and speaking of dream world, it's time for a few commercials. Yeah. Well, listen, now, I'll have to, now, now let's, let's get down to reporting what's really going on down here. Uh, one of the things, of course, uh, that, that first hits you when you, when you come down to southern Florida, and I'm talking here as a not as a tourist. I'm talking about this place as a as a microcosm. I'm down here to, to just look at it. Uh, first of all, the, the fantastic hang-up on weather that you find in this. And they have the most beautiful weather in the world. I mean, really, it's great weather. Uh, the, the weather here is, is like the, the French Riviera at its absolute best. I mean day after day after day. It's 75. The sun is shining. Great white fleecy clouds are drifting over the sky. You can see the ocean glistening off to your right or your left. And you drive over the causeway and you see these, like I drove over the causeway to Miami Beach and I had this long line of, of uh, wooden pilings driven into the bay. You see it curving out and it curves off into the sun. And on each piling there was a, uh, a big mean-looking pelican sitting. And, and they're all, hundreds of them, all lined up out there, you know. It's like a whole bunch of guys lined up before the $2 window at Hialeah. And, uh, <laughs> and incidentally, there is, there's a place that if you have never visited, 
uh, it probably will not be here much longer. You know, they always talk about closing Hialeah, but Hialeah is a true piece of anachronistic, uh, arcane Americana out of the past. And you go to Hialeah. Have you been there, Sam? That's beautiful, isn't it? It really is. I mean, Hialeah is poetic. <laughs> That's all I could say. When those horses come out of the, uh, they bring them out of the, uh, uh, the barns in the back, and they come through the beautiful tropical foliage, and all the people stand around among, among the hibiscus and the, the mimosa, and they watch these uh, these horses go past, and the jockeys are sitting up, like uh, Baeza, for example. Fine jockey, Baeza was sitting on a, on a horse uh, the other day. I went out to Hialeah just to see it, you know, just to, just to go to Hialeah. And they were running a, a handicap that day called the Palm Beach Handicap. It was a big race beautiful day the sun was shining and then all these horses came out in a long line they're going through a tunnel going out onto the track and everybody is sitting there watching them and old ladies and, and uh, guys that look like they uh, they originally made the first bet uh, when man of war was a two year old you know, <laughs> you know that look I, I have a feeling that horse players live forever you just can't imagine a horse player taking time enough out to die Horse players got to be at the races every day, and it's very inconvenient if you die. So uh, a horse play- <laughs> so horse players live forever, and their styles are forever. A horse you can tell a real horse player because he always looks vaguely like a Jimmy Durante. He has that kind of suit. I don't know. It's a, it's a funny looking suit, like, and they they all wear hats. If uh, you notice that type of guy, and they, they're all of an indeterminate age, like many, they could have been around during the time of the pharaohs, and they're vaguely embalmed, and uh, they got a, <laughs> no, these are the true horse players as opposed to the tourists, you know, the go out and say, let's go to the track. I'm talking about the real, uh, they've got creased and lined faces, they've been at Saratoga, they've been at Arlington and River Downs. They've been at Bowie. They've been at every track in the nation. They have seen horses, and they've seen dogs. They've seen it all come and go, and they've stood before so many windows. It's like uh, heaven itself is a vast paramutual window. And, uh, and I imagine many a guy believes that, that, that uh, he, will have, he will have actually achieved heaven the day that he has a winning trifecta on, on, on three long shots. The ultimate. It's like the triple crown in golfing. And so you go out to Hialeah, and it's, it's all sort of a, uh, an early uh, 1920s uh, Spanish uh, fluted tile roof motif, and there's a certain tranquility about it. The, uh, uh, the flamingos down in the, uh, in the infield. Once in a while, a kid goes out in the boat, and uh, he scares up the flamingos, so the flamingos all fly in a big flock, and they swirl around as the horses are racing incidentally. The, the flamingos raise up, and you can just see this great flock swirling and then back down into the water, and they make these little flecks of pink in the TV cameras. It's a magnificent place. And if you, if you ever come down here and you miss Hialeah, you're missing uh, a show that uh, makes Disneyland look just like what it is, a bunch of little machines that plug in. Can you imagine... The Disneyland uh, or the Disney World Americana Parade, everybody's standing there watching it, and then they have a power blackout. (laughs) And all 
of the Disney World comes to a, a grinding halt. Lincoln is in the middle of the Gettysburg Address. He stops. <laughs> but uh, this, uh, to me, this is also see, and I'm not putting it down. It's all part of the. It's all part of the strange. Uh, uh, fascinating world that you find in the make-believe parts of the country. And we're not the only one. Do you know that all over the world, all over the world, whatever it is that we've got in this fantasy world that uh, California, Southern Cal particularly, and Southern Florida have created, has a worldwide appeal. How many of you remember that the first thing that Khrushchev the famous Russian dictator, wanted to see when he came over here. What was it he wanted to see? That's right. He didn't say the Lincoln Memorial or something. He wanted to see Disneyland, right? <laughs> in short, the, the Russian world is such a realistic world, realistic in the sense that, uh, you know, they're the only guys in the world that will put up a, a gigantic uh, seven-foot uh, statue in the park uh, of a tractor driver, you know, heroic tractor driver. Uh, their world is based on not even so much reality, but uh, materialism. What you can see is real. What you can't see isn't. That's one of the reasons why they're very uncomfortable with religion. You can't see religion. It takes a certain amount of imagination to conceive of Buddha. It does. <laughs> it takes a lot of imagination, in fact. It takes a great deal of imagination to conceive of the whole panoply of religion. And so if you're a materialist, you can't. And so the idea of, of creating a, a, a mythical kingdom and a, and, and, and a world where, say, uh, dolphins or porpoises act like people, jump out of the water and uh, play with yo-yos and uh, smoke cigars. In fact, they've even got a dolphin down here now that plays the trumpet in the Herb Alpert style. I mean, he just doesn't play the trumpet. He's got a sort of a Mexican approach. He's got a nice lip. Not many ideas, but his uh, his lip is good. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this is this is a part of the of, of man, I guess, that you see down here that really fascinates me. Incidentally, speaking of uh, the make believe world that you see down here, uh, I don't know how many of you ever read the novels of uh, John D. Macdonald his Travis McGee series, which is a fascinating series. And I think uh, I think uh, 100 years from now, people will be reading this guy's stuff and wondering why the people of the time never realized that he was really talking very much about the modern world, really, far more than the Mailers and the Philip Roth. And uh, in his Travis McGee series, for those of you who uh, follow this, you must understand there is a Bahia Mar, in other words, Travis, uh, lives in a houseboat in a in a, a marina called Bayamar, and of course it's it's one of the most elegant uh, uh, marinas. Really, it's more than a marina; it's a complex. But it's one of the more elegant marinas in the world, and, and it lies on the southern part of uh, Fort Lauderdale, just a little bit north of Port Everglades. And here's a fantastic marina, and it's all concrete and magnificent towers. And, and uh, all these uh, heavyweight boats. That's another part of the, of the uh, contrast. You know, in most parts of the, of the country, you don't honestly see wealth. You may see a, an expensive car go by once in a while, but let me tell you this. When you're driving along uh, 
uh, a, a, a Southern Florida street, let's say in Fort Lauderdale, and you're going along 17th Street and the causeway, and all of a sudden the bridge goes up, see, and you have to wait. And uh, the bridge is up, and all of you are waiting. There's 100 cars on each side of the bridge. And all of you can see, see, right ahead of you is the inner, inland waterway. And then you see why you're all waiting. The bridge has gone up, and this yacht is going through. One guy. Not many places in the world where all of traffic stops, <laughs> sometimes for a half an hour, as one guy cools along. And, <laughs> and uh, this fantastic yacht. The other day I see this yacht going through, see, and the, 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 the uh, causeway blocked up. Everybody stopped. The traffic stopped for my... It was right at rush hour, incidentally. And I want to tell you, this was a yacht that must have been uh, 200 feet long. I mean, it had flying bridges. It had everything but, but buttresses hanging out, outriggers. And it had, the, it, it, you know, it, 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 it just really elegant, gleaming, the chrome. It had, had the big crest and coat of arms on the funnel, and this thing just cooled on down the waterway. And it was the Amheiser Bush yacht. Now, that's heavy dough. Let's put it this way. That's the big league. Now, it isn't often that you see that, you see, in, in real life. You know, you can walk around, you can walk around uh, uh, all your life, you can walk around New York and never really be conscious of that. You, you may see the towers of, of, a, of a high uh, uh, penthouse somewhere, but it's, it's remote. You don't have to stop and bow to it. But when the causeway stops that traffic when the bells ring and the gates come down and the bridge slowly goes up. That 200-footer has got it all stopped. It's a, it's a great sight. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and on the other hand, when uh, another thing that you see down here so much that is part of the, I suppose you might say, the openness of life down here is the fantastic contrast between uh, one end of life and the other. You don't see that much in the big cities either. You see the crowds are all sort of uh, sort of uh, homogenized in Chicago and New York and sort of everybody's pouring along Fifth Avenue or, or the Loop someplace. They're, they're going along uh, Utopia Parkway. They all kind of look the same. But down here, there's enclaves of ancient people. I mean, really ancient people. There'll be a big sign. You'll be driving along A1A, and it'll say, A Mature Community. For adults over 65. Now that's mature. And then on the other hand, four blocks away, there's this long beach lying there in the sun, and there's nobody on the beach. Nobody. Over 17 or 18. Maybe 20, 25, you know? And they're all lying there glistening in the sun, and the, 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 the girls go walking along through the shallows, looking unbelievable. And just a few blocks away, you get in your car and you drive, and you see these things. By the way, you know what they, uh, uh, do you know what they, they call these little tricycles? Ancient people uh, drive these tricycles, you know, these, you know, these bicycles? You know what they call them? They call them a senility chopper. <laughs> and and uh, so there's all kinds of names down here for, uh, you know, for things that, uh, that, that have to do with uh, with the beginning and the end and the, and the middle and, 
at uh, let's say the spinning of ideas. You see, you see, you see fantasy world all around you. You, 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 and and of course the the uh, the planes that fly over. You always see airplanes. I'm very conscious of airplanes. In uh, wherever wherever there is a make believe world, airplanes are important. You're hardly ever conscious of airplanes in Minneapolis. But in Southern California, they always seem to be arching into the sun. And uh, you always see this in commercials, because commercials are part of the fantasy world, of course, too. Especially the airline commercials. They're always taking you to these beautiful places. Come fly with us. Uh, you know, come to uh, the friendly skies of. There's never any turbulence in the friendly skies of. Never any smog, never any holdovers or delays. <laughs> There's never any riot in, uh, in, in the places that you go in the TV commercials. But the, you see these planes arching out and heading up into the sun. And when you're lying on the beach here, you're just walking along, you see planes taking off, and they sort of leap off like a frog out over the ocean. They just go, and they leap out over the ocean. You're very conscious of people leaving the place. And you see the plane turn, make a big turn left, and head north, going north. It's carrying another crowd of people who just blown their two weeks, much, much poorer. They have a tan that's going to be gone three days from now, and they're going back to Buffalo. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you see this plane as it takes off and makes a big arch. You see another one coming down into the pattern, see, and he's got his, he's got his flaps down. And, and you can still see the very faint outlines of, of icicles. He's bringing in another crowd <laughs> from Rochester. <laughs> and one crowd leaves, another crowd takes off, and they're eternally coming back and forth like that. And then underneath it all, there is the permanent party, what we call in the Army the cadre. And uh, they walk around, and they never they never admit that, uh, that, it's, that it's sunny out or it's nice out. They never relate to it. It's just like the cadre everywhere. You're very hip, you know. You know, I live in New York. I never say, oh, God, look at those big buildings. never occurred to me to say that. And it never occurs to the true permanent party or cadre in, uh, in uh, Miami. You know, one guy meets another guy. They've both been here for 25 years. They're working down here. It never occurs to one guy to say, oh, God, isn't this fantastic? day in day hockey. No. Oh, yeah, the sun is taken for granted. Uh, it's just like the big buildings in New York are taken for granted. The sun and the surf. All those pelicans all squatting down there. And, I, and it's going to be like that when we get to heaven, friends. The cadre is not going to pay a damn bit of attention to all that harp playing. You know, you're going to be playing a harp like hell and drinking bread and honey and whatever it is you do up there. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the cadre that really belongs, they're going to be walking around, you know, like the place doesn't even exist. Or making plans if they can only get back out to hell. That's probably what most of them are doing. So the human mind, when you get down, you find the human mind has a, has a tremendous itchiness. The ones who live here plot to get out. The ones who don't here, live here plot to get here. And it's a continuing, moiling, endless circle. And one, one of the great things, uh, get ready now, Sam. Watch this now. There's a queue coming up. One of the great sights today is, is of course, the traveling caravans of uh, candidates. 
they're appearing at shopping centers. That's the new thing, you know, appearing at shopping centers. They used to appear at town halls and stuff. Now they appear at the fashion centers. And uh, <laughs> great crowds of people compiling out of Brits, so they're compiling out of, uh, out of Jordan Marsh to watch Ronald Reagan, uh, who looks just exactly like he spends a lot of time modeling clothes in Jordan Marsh. This part of the world, I tell you, is, is, is probably the best place I've ever seen in, 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 in all of my travels for writing a sociological treatise on the mind of fantasy. Restaurants down here are disguised to look like Polynesian palaces with flames burning in front of them. Probably in Polynesia, they have uh, restaurants that purport to look like a true Miami restaurant. You know, they have a bunch of uh, <laughs> petrified tourists they put out in front. And by the way, everybody waits in line, practically, without exception, to get into restaurants down here. It's all part of showbiz. I guess even growing old, man. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation. You hear?